It's bad ink jam, but not as we know it. This is bad. Did you ever doubt it when I got someone like you to come back to? Apparently true. I don't take much time. Not sure. Why? Because if you're interested, I'll be in my quarters, covered in maple syrup. I'm sorry, Melly. I don't fraternise with the staff. I resign. I'll be there at 1300. Welcome to the Bashcast, brought to you by BookieBashing.net, betting at 100.1 and above. This is Bashcast episode number 160. Crispy chili beef. It is nine minutes past three on Thursday, the 30th of July, 2020. Coming up in this afternoon's Bashcast, we discuss um, statistics in golf and bankroll management. Markets have stopped providing ACAs, um, accumulators, that the general public can back and lay to their heart's content. Um, some more coupon results and a look at the Paddy What's Odd Paddy coupon after the break. Some serious failings going on with this year's online WSOP um, tournament and acronyms in advantage play. Can we give it a rest? All of that and more coming up in this afternoon's Bashcast. Good day today. It's a very sunny day in Worcestershire. We've got Goodwood on the television this afternoon. We've got um, three golf events: the Hero Open, the Master Green in Birmingham, Barracuda, and the St Jude Invitational on in a bit. And it is gloriously sunny. I think I might uh, wrap up the Bashcast and spend the afternoon in the greenhouse and in the garden. Hope you're well. No illnesses, no injuries. I've just about, I've recovered from my lockdown injury. It was, what was it, four months in lockdown? Um, one trip to the hospital. Crispy chili beef injury, of all things. Um, during lockdown, I basically cooked a lot. That's how I uh, kept the neurons firing. I was just trying to find um, new recipes and things like that. So, did the old um, crispy chili beef. It was a good one as well, you know? Basically, just get any condiment in your cupboard uh, and put it in a pan with soy sauce and you'll come up with some sort of sticky glaze that'll work. The bit that I'm not, I wasn't too sure about was the um, deep frying the beef. So I, I sort of perfected the... You dip it, you, you get the strips, right? You dip it in the corn flour and the egg. But you've got to be careful not to have too much egg, otherwise it's just going to turn into eggy egg. So you pat the egg off, then dip it in the corn flour... And then a little bit more egg and then get the egg off and back in the corn flour and it's ready to go. And I got the pan extremely hot. This is the problem. Because I live in 2020 and not 1984 like everybody else. I don't own a deep fat fryer. And I never actually really deep fat fry anything. Ever. I've got, I've, on the rare occasion we have chips, I've got an air fryer for the chips. So 
Um, I just filled a, a, a big frying pan to the brim with oil and just heated it up to the maximum. That's, that seemed about that seemed about right to me. The maximum. So I left it on there for three or four minutes until it felt like it was getting up. Tested it with one piece and it seemed to frizzle away. I was like, yes, beef doesn't even need that long. It's only going to need like a minute in there. So um, kids are sitting at the table. I got the tray in my hand full of corn corn flour and egg coated uh, beef. And I I pick up a handful in this uh, ladle thing that I've got. And I drop it all at the same time into the frying pan. And of course, because I drop it all at the same time, an almighty eruption of oil sprays upwards, which catches the flames on the side of the pan. The whole pan's on fire. In the same few nanoseconds, the oil is spitting out of the pan. I'm, I'm wearing shorts and these running socks because I'd been for a run and not changed my socks like a minger. And it's these running socks that are like, they're, they're sort of a, a synthetic fabric that they're not loose. They, they really grip. They really grip your foot. They're small and they're tight and they grip your foot. And the oil had spat out of the pan and landed on to the top of my sock, which then absorbed the 260-degree oil, right? Now, ordinarily, when you've got 260-degree oil hard-pressed against your skin and it's not going anywhere, that should be the priority. At this moment in time, it was only the third priority I had in front of me. The first priority was the flames, the shoots of flames that were going upwards from the pan. And the second priority were the two small children that I happened to have in the kitchen at the same time who were screaming and crying. So the children got ushered out of the way. I'm still holding this sort of tray of half of the beef that I haven't put in. Um, Then managed to get that down. The children ushered away, got a towel, got the flames out. And all this time, my sock is holding the oil against my foot and after the flames were out and everything else I finally managed to get the sock off my foot at least I got the sock around the melted bit off my foot it took a little bit more time to get the uh, to get the melted bit off uh, and all of the oil that was pretty much stuck on there so that was a trip to the hospital but not before we finished with the beef in the pan at a slightly lower temperature. I mean, as much as the flames and everything was dramatic, the beef that came out of there was gorgeous. It didn't burn. It was just about perfect. It was like flash fried. You know when you go to these French restaurants and they just get a little um, charcuterie of beef, just a sliver of beef, um, and just they cut the outside of it, and then the inside's pretty much pink. It was like that. It was gorgeous. The only problem was the searing pain that I was in. So we got a bucket and we filled the bucket full of cold water and um, sat down at the table and it was just my wife Jen and me. Uh, And I've got my foot in a bucket of cold water and I had a bite and I'm not gonna lie, it was delicious. My wife, she didn't eat any of it because she's not a fan of chili. And if she has anything that has the word chili in it, like chili con carne or whatever, it has to be very mild chili. And I'd gone a little bit overboard with the sauce, which was a mixture of three chilies from the greenhouse, chili oil, and uh, sweet chili, hot sweet chili sauce. Um, And so she had a bite, couldn't touch the rest. And so she left and I sat 
at the table with third degree burns on my foot, which was in a bucket of water and had two plates of the nicest chili, um, crispy chili beef you ever had in your entire life. That's my injury story from lockdown. The golf um, last week was the three um, in the PGA and it was the British Masters, which Betfred were very kind enough to go 10 places on. Their, their odds weren't great, but they did go 10 places. Um, they uh, by far the most amount of places in that tournament. Should have... Um, it was If you looked at the tracker, it was pretty much all Betfred. Um, because everybody else was either six or seven places, and then you got Betfred 10. Even when they're not top pricing everyone who they're not, you can go and bet on in shop. It was just a, an amazing amount of it. It was very difficult to actually come up with selections that wasn't just, you know, 10 selections at Betfred. Because I'm trying not to put selections up on the site of just a single bookmaker. But in this instance, it was just the single bookmaker that was extreme value. Um, I went for Aaron Ride, David Drivesdale, Will Besseling, Stephen Brown, Cormac Sharvin, who I think was five over after three holes of the first round. The, the legend that is... Miguel Angel Jimenez, um, Adrian Sadler, Adrian Otaguay, James Morrison, the the teacher Robert Rock, and Andy Sullivan. Um, so I went up to, we were in one shop in Staffordshire, bet Fred. They actually asked for um, identification to place um, two grand's worth of bets in there, which is the first time that, that had happened, but that, that it was an unknown shop, and they said that they needed it for all big stakes customers. Got away with saying, um, didn't have any identification on me, and my name's Daz, D-A-Z, and uh, that was enough for them. So good old bet, Fred. Um, despite the, the serious amount of value, didn't turn a profit in that tournament. Um, I mean, didn't turn a loss either, but it was just kind of a break-even tournament, as was the 3M. Renato Paratori, the youngster, got an early lead and then made it boring for anyone that wasn't on him um, because he just stretched that out through the tournament. Rasmus Hodgegaard was second. Hodgegaard, the Norwegian name with the, foot, the, with the O with the line through it, he's second just now in the Hero Open European Tour, so back-to-back performances, albeit one round is never... Um, indicative of how you do in a tournament saying that do you know who duncan shared this with me who has the most amount of consecutive rounds where they've beaten the average score in the field this is like one of those problems that is a, a grains of rice on a chessboard so how many grains of rice? if you have one grain of rice on the first square two in the second four in the third eight sixteen thirty two sixty four how many do you have in the last and the answer is 2 to the power of 64. It's such an insanely large number. It's something like the atoms in the universe or some comparably ridiculous large number. Um, how many golf tournaments is, or golf rounds, so four rounds in a tournament, how many rounds has somebody played where they've beaten the average score of the field? And you'd think, well, even the good players, this is grains of sand on a chessboard. At some point, it becomes so exponentially or parabolically di- difficult to continue the streak well no surprises that it was mr tiger woods big surprises there was 89 rounds in a row where he beat the average score of the field the next best was marco mira with 33 so in this tournament i had robert rock andy sullivan in fourth place didn't actually take advantage of the 10 places because i had uh, my guys were in the top five anyway i didn't need 
Farb- Jens Farbring, Ryan Fox, Sam Horsfield, Graham Storm, Ben Stowe. Oh, I was up. I big lies from me. I was on Graham Storm, but because there were four in tenth place, that was only um, twenty five percent of the stake paid there. So um, mega value from Betfred sponsoring the Betfred British Masters, hosted by Lee Westwood in the um, other tournament, the three M. Michael Thompson. The youngster won it. Adam Long in second. Now get this for third place in tied third. Bobby Shelton, Charles Howell the third, Emiliano Grillo, Alex Noren, Tony Finau, Max Homer, Cameron Tringali, Richie Varensky, and Charles Schwartzel. All on 16 under. Nobody on 15 under. How weird is that? That's quite statistically bizarre. You had all those players tied in third. Uh, And so if you were in third, uh, but you were on eight places, you were getting a dead heat tie of three, four, five, six, seven, eight. That's your six. And then nine, 10, 11, 12, 13. You're getting a six out of 11 um, dead heat tie, even though you've got third place in the tournament and you're betting eight places. Again, really bizarre. And this is where it comes really useful having those extra concessionary places when there are mega mega ties no such luck in sky bet paying us out in full anymore so in that tournament we had um we had a look at modeling ourselves um some of the value based on greens and regulations consecutive cuts and birdies and when you took the entire field and modeled them richie varensky was over 100 to 1 on the exchange, but was the highest scored under our model. So if we were setting odds, he would have been the favourite. Of course, we're not bringing in a lot of player form and player strength and everything like that. But to be fair, Richie Varensky, he was in first and second and third through the first three and a half rounds. It was only the last nine of the fourth round where he fell away. And considering he was 120, 130, 140 to 1, thought it was a decent effort there by this kind of analysis so in this analysis i mean it's not a it's definitely a long way from being sort of a formal analysis that's going to bring in sort of numbers sort of equity numbers but this is part of the process in getting there and in all honesty i think when we're when you're putting together a picture of who you're going to bet on in a golf tournament it's the same as, you know, it's the same as information in a poker tournament. You can't know what the opposition's two or four or whatever cards are, but you can start painting a picture of the information that is available to you to see what it throws up and then make good decisions based on that incomplete picture that you're painting. And part of painting this picture is looking at player strengths, player characteristics. Now, the inevitable question sort of that should lead to this is what player strengths and player characteristics should I look at in a tournament? Because if you you can get all of this from the PGA Tour, it's freely available. Go to pgatour.com and then there's statistics and you've got subcategories of off the tee, approach the green, around the green, putting, scoring, streaks, points ranking and even under like off the tee you've got a hundred different attributes here you've got longest drives driving percentages driving percentages 260 to 280 yards and different 
categories there. Driving distance, driving accuracy, driving accuracy percentage, left rough tendency, blah, 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 blah. So you got like loads of these actually. And the question is, what do you want to do? Do you want to just take it all in? Some of them will be relevant on some courses and some of them will be irrelevant, irrelevant on very long courses. Obviously, you want your Rory McIlroy's and your Bryson DeChambeau's who can not only drive far, but they can drive accurately. But on Lynx courses um, and other courses around the world, being, um, um, dis- being just a long driver or being accurate, that's not going to count as much as, for example, being able to scramble around the green or your birdie percentages or your long putt percentages or whatever. So the question becomes... When we're looking at a tournament, what attributes should we be looking at in the field? One way of doing that is Fantasy Labs. Now, I cannot remember if I've discussed Fantasy Labs before. If I have, uh, I apologise for the next minute or two of repetition. And if I haven't, I apologise for the next minute or two. There's probably not enough detail, but I don't want to be accused of repetition, if you know what I mean. Fantasy Labs is sort of focused on the American um, fantasy sports betting market, where you go and a lot of poker players do this. You go and you put together, um, well, you know, uh, like the fantasy football in the UK, you put together a team of players from different teams and then whoever performs the best over there. um, Well, here... If you win, I don't know, if you're first out of 20 million, you might win a, I don't know what the prize is for the Premier League fantasy football, but I suspect it's not that big. Over in America, there are these huge sort of poker freeze-out tournament-style tournaments where loads of people buy in for $100, $300, $1,000, $10,000. You enter your team, and whoever's got the most amount of points takes them some of the prize ball second, takes some more of the prize ball, etc., etc. And there's big golf fantasy tournaments that are going on so fantasy lab is sort of catering themselves for those large golf tournaments and um, they have a lot of very cool and very useful analytics for different sports within they're very catered to baseball and nascar and american football they've got no soccer in there or anything else but they do have golf specifically golfers in the pga not as useful for the european tour but then statistics and data for those players are harder to come across anyway and within um the database that you can interrogate in fantasy labs um you can select from you know within out of a thousand golfers or so you can select many many golf courses around the world at minimum all of the calendar year pga courses that are being played and you can also filter by Different tournaments, some tournaments are just always on the same course, um, like the Augusta, uh, the Masters at Augusta. But others are at different courses. And um, what it does is it displays the relative med- um, the relative power of predictive metrics within each course. For example, you could bring up a Lynx course in Scotland and it would tell you that by looking at scrambling on players in that tournament you are more likely to predict someone that's going to outperform their odds. So your 10 to 1 guy is going to win more than 1 in 10 times than other metrics. Basically, it's taking each metric, comparing the metric to each other and saying, had you looked at all of these metrics before the tournament, 
These are the ones that would have given you insight into the winner on average over a lot of tournaments and these are the ones that wouldn't. The metrics include things like greens and regulations, driving distance, driving accuracy, scrambles, putts per round, eagles, birdies, bogeys. All of these things you can get from the pgatour.com website. So we can go on there and we can say, okay, we're going to be looking at the TPC Southwind for the St. Jude Invitational this week. And you look at that, the predictive met, uh, metrics at TPC Southwind, and you see that recent driving accuracy score, long-term scrambling score, an odd score, which is, you know, the, the wisdom of the crowd's Vegas lines odds of them winning the tournament. These things, historically, if we looked at them historically on this exact golf course at TPC Southwind, then we would have had some positive trending of the of our prediction of how well these players would have done. And if we looked at recent eagle scores, perhaps because it's quite difficult to eagle holes at TPC Southwind, we would have had negative correlation. And by doing this, what we can do is isolate a few attributes that we want to do, that we want to use to look at players in any given tournament. So, yeah, I isolated them and we looked at the field and we did highlight Richie Varensky. And for a lot of the tournament, it looked like he was going to do pretty well. I thought he was going to win it. And so I wasn't even on him. But what I can now do is this is yet another tool that allows us to, you know, we've got 45 odd plus EV golfers in the field in any given week. And um, I don't want to bet on 45 given golfers or so. I want to narrow it down. So this, for example, this invitational this week, the St. Jude Invitational, there's only 78 players, still a lot of bookmakers play, paying seven places and concessionary places, which is quite decent on the half the field that we normally get. So there was a little bit of value. In fact, there was quite a lot of value around. And it would be very easy just to take, you know, the top whatever EV until you're betting 10, 15% of the field. Um, but if you look historically, another part of the picture, for example, Green Square, have a website. If you look historically at how people have done in this tournament, um, last year Brooks Koepka won it at 10 to 1. He was the second favourite. The year before, Dustin Johnson was the favourite and won at 13 to 2. And Daniel Berger, who's won this a couple of times in the last few years, won it as fifth favourite. So there's definitely something there where we're not going to get 150, 200 to 1 um, winners of this tournament, at least not in the last three years. Um, the, and that ties up with what Fantasy Labs was telling us, that the odd score is a reasonable predictive metric of how well people are going to do. So using the odd score, as well as scrambling and driving accuracy, we had a look at the field and we came up with a list. And the people scored at the top were John Rahm, Webb Simpson, Daniel Berger, Tyrell Hatton, Brendan Todd. Now, that by itself isn't enough. We then need to find those guys plus EV at the bookmakers. It's all great saying that they're good, but if they're 1 to 100 of the bookmaker, they're simply not value, right? 
And unfortunately, I really wanted to get on John Rahm because the favourites do so well in this tournament. I couldn't find him. Plus, he was like 90% EV at best. I, I waited all the way through to Wednesday afternoon before putting the recommendations up because I wanted to get John Rahm. I'm not on him. Um, I, but I have prioritised forward Webb Simpson, Daniel Berger and Brent, Brendan Todd and Tyrell Hatton because whilst they might not have been the highest EV in this tournament, I didn't want a, few, uh, uh, a selection full of 150 to 1 uh, and 200 to 1 and 300 to 1 that you tend to find who are the, at the highest EV for tournaments because historically they haven't done two other things. They're, we're painting this picture where these guys... Um, so I might have the top one or two, but because um, you have to stake very high on them. But I, I, I did want to prioritise forward lower EV guys. So the the question of staking um, has come up recently. It comes up quite a lot. The question of how much do I stake, right? Um, it's very it's quite a difficult question to answer because it all depends on your personal. Um, risk liability. What I would say is, I mean, a couple of things. You, you certainly want to be betting at a level that you're comfortable. By comfortable, I mean it's it's always possible, I think, to bust a bankroll, right? So if you're putting your entire bankroll into something, well, for starters, if you're putting your entire cash reserves into some one thing, you're the biggest idiot in the entire world. I've got no sympathy for how stupid you are. Um, but even then, like, so in terms of myself, I have a sum of cash that I have made from gambling in the bank, but I don't, it's not my whole bankroll. I think I pretty much know that if I go on a big losing run and lose half of it, I'm going to go and find another job. I'm very fortunate in the case that as a long-term winner, my losing runs only tend to go on for about two months at most, very severe could drift just into a third month but because i'm making money in the long run it's um and there are cash reserves there staking i just find a level that's comfortable for me and can stick with that and over time you get an understanding of what the variance and the question of am i staking high enough is the most common question i mean i have a pal who is pretty high stakes better. I mean, we're talking sort of six figures over Cheltenham um, kind of betting. And when I was sitting for dinner with him a few months ago, he was sort of questioning the, the biggest thing that comes into his head all of the time is, am I betting high enough? And he probably isn't, but also betting it mathematically compared to the amount of money that you've got and the equity that you're getting a high enough level is really hard to do because of the inherent risk and variance that comes um, with betting a marginal or even quite good equity spots. So um, it's something even that the experienced guys deals with. But I have this sum of money and a subset of that sum is my golf bankroll. But in all honesty, so let me give you an example. I'm going, to, I'm going to try and do this. I'll be a little bit more specific when we're talking here, right? So in terms of cash reserves in the bank made from gambling, I've got about 250000 in the bank. I've made a lot more than that, but I've done stupid things like buy a house and allow my wife to have access to my credit card. Um, so of that 250000 I don't want to lose it. 
And I don't think I ever would. I would stop myself before it was lost. So in terms of am I betting high enough? Well, probably not because that's not at risk. Subsets of it are at risk. Um, of that, I think I'm probably comfortable in the short term losing 50,000 on a massive losing run. And then I would probably turn around and go, this is starting to hurt. Things are going to have to change. So then I've got 50,000 to play with, but only a subset of that 50,000 now is for golf. I would say it's not very, it's not exactly like the sitting in different bank accounts, but £10,000 is for golf, right? So £10,000 is my golf bankroll. Now, I have an, a, a staking plan that I could bust that, and that is possible. And if I busted it, I'm fortunate enough that I can reload it. And this is kind of the idea that I'm trying to get across, right? That com Comparative to my overall bankroll, that's quite small because it allows me the freedom to know that if things go so bad that I'm going to bust the £10,000, I'll reload another £10,000, probably do exactly the same thing. I think by the time I reload a third £10,000, I'm probably in trouble there. So of the £10,000, I am probably staking um about a thousand to two thousand pounds per tournament or per per week because it's sort of com often a lot a combination of tournaments some somewhere in that region i mean like the the barracuda i only have three percent of the field um there um whereas the um the st jude invitation i had 12 percent of the field so i'm betting four times as much because i just found more palatable options on the st jude Right, And I also, I have to leave myself a little bit of room for manoeuvre. So most of the guys that I put up as the recommendations, I'm on them. But there are also maybe massive EV at the end. I was really hoping that John Rahm was going to somehow be big EV somewhere at the end. And John Rahm at 10 to 1 is 10% of the field, right? So he's a massive amount. So I was kind of holding on, waiting for as long as possible just to see if I could find John Rahm as plus EV. I couldn't. So I got on a bunch of 20 to 1 to 30 to 1s. And that does... That, 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 it sort of says I'm not going into the tournament saying I'm definitely going to stake 1,200 quid. I'm going into the tournament allowing myself the freedom to be somewhere between 1,000 and um, 2,000. I think the Barracuda was even just a little bit less than than 250 because um, it was just four golfers who were all quite high odds. So those are the ranges that I'm in. Now, betting at that level... Okay, what what I know is that the worst downswing that I experienced in the last 12 months was £7,000. But then also, in total, making about £35,000. So those are the ranges I'm dealing with with this £10,000 bankroll. Um, and uh, I definitely could have busted it. I got off to a good start, which is why I haven't busted it. But going on um, betting to one thousand to two thousand pounds per per week, or sort of in that range, um, the the chances of a ten thousand pound downswing in the next year are probably around about fifty fifty. I haven't exactly modelled it, but that's what I would expect it to be so whatever your bankroll is have multiply what you're staking in tournament by 10 every week um if you're betting 
10 to 15% of the field, this works. Multiply it by 10, and that's probably going to be the downswing, the worst downswing over the 12 months. Does that, does that make sense? And of course, if you're betting fewer golfers, if you're only betting 5% of the field, which is still perfectly reasonable long term, um, then you're going to be under more variance. It's going to be a longer time between winners. But because you're not betting as much when you get those winners you're going to be seeing more weekly profit and on the other side of the coin um when you are betting more golfers 20 30 percent of the field you're going to see more winners but full butts are going to be really painful and things like that so it's sort of the kind of thing that i don't have an answer for everybody i think there's some acceptance that the staking plan on bookie bashing is aggressive exactly it is 1.55 times ev times bankroll minus 1.365 times bankroll over the decimal odds and what minus one and what that's doing that equation is doing is it's essentially saying okay we're going to be betting up to um um we're going to be betting to win about of a bankroll of a thousand pounds, we're going to be bet the high EV guys. We're going to be betting to win eight hundred pounds. The low EV guys, we're going to be betting to win two hundred pounds. We're trying to force the issue here where we've got higher EV. We're betting relatively a little bit more. I think there's some acceptance that that's aggressive, um, but I'm happy for it to be aggressive in the knowledge that. It's okay to bust your bankroll. For heaven's sake, have another bankroll to reload into there. This, this is like um, going in, the, the advice to professional poker players, going into cash games. If you're going into cash games playing a blind structure and you buy them with £1,000, you better make sure you've got £100,000 in the bank 100 times your buy-in um, so that you can um, get through the variance even as a winning player. Now... It is very possible that you could buy in for two or five or ten thousand. Um, and that's fine. Taking a shot is absolutely fine with every now and again. If anything, it keeps things interesting. But there's always that knowledge that, you know, if you hit the jackpot, hooray, we're all going to Disneyland. But um, more often than not, you, you will attempt to stake a little bit bigger now and again. You'll completely bust a miss. You've got to drop right back down again. Um, now, n for me, when I was playing poker, knowing that my overall bankroll, if I bought in for a £1,000, um, if I busted my whole bankroll, there was another one there to reload with. The secondary bankroll or third bankroll, that, that, it, it, it's a comfort thing for me. You see, I could actually just be betting as a percentage of my entire cash reserves. If I ever did that, you can come round to my house and slap me really, really, really hard. It's so dumb because even as a professional bankroll, if you had a £1,000 bankroll and you had a 55% winning percentage you know if you even if you just bet 100 pounds per game at even money you would go broke 15 percent of the time after 100 bets after a thousand bets you'd go broke 31 percent of the time because despite all of that positive expected value you're betting too much so my advice to anyone doing this is have a bankroll you don't want to, no one wants to bust a bankroll. Of course you don't want to bust a bankroll, but don't get too hung up on it. You see, 
you should have another bankroll to reload with. If you don't, you'll bust the bankroll. You probably weren't betting high enough within that bankroll if you didn't bust it. And if you do bust it, everyone busts it. Everyone busts a bankroll. You don't want to be at a position where you go, oh no, I've busted a bankroll. I have to stop. That's the worst case scenario. Um, on Emporium, despite the horse racing tracker for the Lucky 15s and everything like that, I still enjoy following Neil Channing's tips for the big festivals. He's a long-term proven winner on horses through his connections and his understanding of the write-ups and everything like that. Well, I'll tell you this, a good one. He is getting his ass handed to him. He is really suffering through variance. I mean, nothing is coming in. It's loss after loss after loss after loss after loss after loss. Well, I know a couple of pals, they followed him on the Tuesday and the Wednesday. They've given up. So what happens on the Thursday, very first race, big winner, big winner. Because they were just betting a little bit too high and it was starting to affect them. And I always think, look, this is the way we've got to be dealing with this. This isn't risk-free match betting. This isn't an income stream. Yes, it's positive equity betting. Yes, we expect to make money in the long run. But this should be a little bit fun. It def- Well, no, actually, it should definitely be fun. In no circumstances should we be doing this if this is a grind. That's where sort of the demons start to come in. The problem gambling comes in. That's not good. So if it's not fun, what, what are you doing for in the first place? Uh, the people that don't find it fun are the people that start to sort of suffer under these losing runs. And an inevitable fact is you cannot win without losing runs. It's inevitable. And the majority of people that try to do, if you like, professional betting, they, they encounter the losing runs and they give up. So what separates the wheat from the chaff? It's those that have a better attitude, that understand that busting their particular bankroll um, is going to be okay because they can reload again. They have a chirpier, more optimistic attitude about l- losing runs and they can look at things both subjectively and objectively. They can look past at the decisions that they made and sort of decide, were they right at the time and do I want to repeat them again? Essentially, those are the two big key ones. Okay? So when looking at how much you should stake in golf, it's a lot to bring in together. But be aggressive in the knowledge that if you bust the bankroll that you're using, there's another one there to reload with. That is my best advice. So, yeah, we'll wrap that up. Uh, Looking at how the um, hero is doing this week. Pretty badly. Seems like I've got um, a lot of people in 100th place or worse, which is never a good sign. Um, But Connor Syme after one round, five under. It was an outrageous round from Sebastian Garcia Rodriguez, who went 10 under. And um, in sixth place at five under with Connor Syme is um, Laurie Cantor, who I've got a text message from a pal here who specifically says that he's got some money on him only because he used to babysit him when Laurie Cantor was much younger. And I'll tell you what, it's probably for the best if I don't read out the rest of that text message. Smarkets have um, done what... It was probably inevitable for a long time. And have removed the ability to back and lay accumulators 
on their site. Um, so small kids, Jason Trost, who is an ex-banker, um, sourced the funding for small kids. And I've been forced to use Smarkets as an exchange since Betfair shut down my account. And in all honesty, I prefer it in so many ways. Like just the design, the usability. The only thing that sucks about it is the liquidity. Um, Betfair have 95% share of the exchange market. And so it's sort of inevitable that there isn't the, the same levels of liquidity at Smarkets. Um, and so as a result, they don't have the same number of markets up as well. But you know, I've been reviewing Betfair recently. They're taking markets away in less liquid markets. And anyway, the difference between Smarkets and Betfair always was that Smarkets seemed to cater. They seem to be bringing in, definitely putting a push on to matched betters, so much so that you can get 0% commission. They're essentially using the Smarkets service costing them money, depositing and withdrawing and all of those things for free. They're not asking for a penny from you. And this has been going on for a long time. Essentially, it's a push to get, gain more market share, more liquidity. Now, with so many matched betters and layers um, at markets, there is inevitable bias, especially when there's a boost. When there's a boost or a large price somewhere, all the match betters, they go and back the boost and then they come to Smarkets with their 0% accounts and they lay here and they they really don't care what they lay at. Honestly, it's unbelievable. It's like they'll back at four and lay at 3.95. They'll, if they, if, if, if they could back at 10, they'd lay at 9.8. There has been a group of people, including myself and others, who have been taking advantage of this um, bias in the market at Smarkets. Essentially, the edge coming from taking advantage of match betters. Now, I have to say that that um, pool of people over time has be inevitably become bigger um, and the, um, the ease with which the match betters can be taken advantage of isn't quite the same as how it used to be. And that, that's fine. It's always the same, you know. Um, this edge will sort of slowly drift away and another one will come along. Uh, never attach yourself just to one single edge and then get annoyed when it's taken from you. Those things are completely out of your control. But, I mean, for example, I saw a large Betway boost, uh, Barcelona to win to nil. It was 2 to 1. Fair odds would have been about 1.68. Top price at Bookmaker was like 1.5. Someone showed me a screenshot. It got posted on Odds Monkey on the Match Better's price boost thread with Betway Arb back at two lay back at three lay at two point nine eight. Whoever it was had just given away one single increment. I want to know how much money goes at that because the Betway, I think, not that I've ever bet on a boosted Betway, but I think they're like ten pound maximum. So how much money are you making back in at ten lane at three? 2.98. Someone else says 2.96 now as the layer got, as the um, the person providing the lay liquidity for the match betters got leapfrogged. And someone else said 2.94 now, 2.9. And it was a race all the way down to 1.6. Just essentially the pool of people taking advantage of the match betters had become too big and too many people wanted to do it and they're leapfrogging each other. And by the nature of that, they sort of they destroy the they destroy the edge for themselves. 
Anyway, there's still, or at least there has been plenty of value to be had in the um, accumulators market at Smarkets where the Skybet boost, the William Hill boost, they're so high, especially if you sort of either get in very early or very late. Um, there's 100 and 607% value there just all the time. Um, just backing those things, just backing those markets and allowing the layers to give you an inflated price. Well, now um, Smarkets have joined the party and who can blame them? Jason Trust's taken the decision, the initiative, that he wants all of that value for himself. And if I was him, I would do exactly the same thing. And there is that adage in poker that if your opponent makes a decision that you think that you would have made yourself, then it's a complete logical fallacy to become annoyed by it. And in the same way, whilst I had been making money from Smarkets, if I was Smarkets, I would have made exactly this decision, possibly a long time ago. Um, and as a result, I can't be annoyed about it. So that, Otherwise, I'd just be annoyed at the at the me of an alternative reality, like Ace Rimmer, Ace Basher Tom. Um, so, for example, um, the kind of thing that they've got there, um, Arsenal are 3.55 for the FA Cup final. Fulham are 1.96 tonight, okay? The combination of that multiple is 6.958. So, if we are able to get anything over 6.958... Give or take a little bit of rounding, we should be getting some positive EV. And if a bookmaker boosted that double to 7 to 1, 8.0, then we might be able to lay at, say, oh, sorry, back at 7.2, 7.4, and those match betters. They, they take our liquidity and they hedge their bets, and everybody's happy. Well, now, um, Smarkets uh, have removed the ability for people to seed liquidity in the accumulated markets, like what we were doing, and they're doing it themselves. They will, And they can offer both sides. Um, so if you put together Arsenal and Fulham just now, we're, remember we're saying fair odds 6.958, you can back that at 6.6, or you can lay that at 7.4. So the 6.6, now, we were hoping to get 7.2, 7.4 before. Now we're getting 6.6. They're taking about 5.5% on the backside there. And if we want to lay it 7.4 towards 6.95, they're taking about 6.3% on that side of the equation. So they're taking 5 6% on both sides. Nice little earner for them. Over time, but what it does mean that we is that we can no longer back at inflated prices. And like a good-looking girlfriend, when the relationship was on the rocks for a little bit of time, once it's over, you kind of figure that you should have got more out of that when the going was good. And now it's been taken away. You realise that you know you might have dabbled your feet in there a little bit, but there was definitely scope and potential to do it a little bit more, a little bit harder, and you didn't take advantage of that. I didn't take advantage of it nearly as nearly as much as I could have done. Also, I finished on a downswing, which shouldn't matter, but uh, it's kind of tainted it for me. So um, that's gone. It's okay that that's gone. Things come and things go all the time. Don't worry about it. It's out of your control. What are you going to do about it? makes markets give you 0% and allow you to lay match bets again. I think someone said, I think they're possibly in a transitionary period where a couple have still been going up, but that will end. That will end. And um, 
Uh, and smart markets will be taking all the money, the 5% on either side. And good for them. I, I wish them off the best. For having such a decent sort of interface and user experience and color scheme and just everything like that. I actually forgive them for this and for I can't you can't blame them for not having the same number of markets because the liquidity levels against Betfair, but Betfair could learn a lot of lessons from them. If in, in ten years time Smarkets was the market leader, I'd be very happy for everybody involved in that team. Um last thing I wanted to look at before the break is a, a, just a coupon. It's not a new coupon. It's an old coupon that I'm trying to streamline some um, regularity of review over, okay? Um, this is the Paddy Hour hashtag what odds Paddy coupon, which the acronym, which they actually have on the coupon is hashtag WOP. I'm not entirely sure the woke generation of 2020 are going to allow that to pass for much longer but that's by the by this is a coupon which focuses on goals cards and corners just what i love betting on myself um they set these up a couple of days in advance and there's two types of what odds paddy coupon okay there is uh, a type of bet where there's really only a single game in the evening. So if it's the Monday night game, it's Manchester United versus Arsenal. All the bets will be Manchester United versus Arsenal and they'll be like Man United to score two goals in the first half and get six corners in the first half or both teams to have three corners or whatever. A lot of those bets, they either have um, no exclusivity problems or inclusivity problems. You can just multiply the two together. There are a lot of bets where there are inclusivity and exclusivity problems so for example right um a team to score or a match to have goals a match to have cards and a match to have corners really those three things they are very they're exclusive enough where you could multiply the three variables together and get a price out okay um a team to score goals and the other team to score cards you can multiply those two things together right because the kind of, the one doesn't really affect the other in the game Team A to get corners and Team B to get corners, you cannot multiply those two together because you take the means, but the the fact that one of the teams has had so many corners um, implies that they've had possession, they've taken possession away from the other team, and um, the ball's been on the other side of the pitch. Um, and so there is a problem with inclusivity. You have to add a coefficient of inclusivity to those two arrangements, Team A and Team B. Now, I, for all the world, think that Team A to score goals and team A to get corners has no coefficient of inclusivity from all of the data that I've looked at. So why, Tom, do I never put them on the tracker, you ask? And the answer is because the two bookmakers, Betfair Sportsbook and Paddy and um, Bet365, three bookmakers, the two three bookmakers, they both add a coefficient of inclusivity on top of the odds there, and I don't understand why. Um, because I don't understand what's going on there, I can't risk flagging false positives. So in sometime in August, we're going to get down to the bottom of all of these coefficients, right? And um, we'll have a calculator up on the site. The other kind of what's on Paddy coupon is 
goals to happen in the league tonight. So over 13 goals or 13 plus goals in the Premiership today or home teams to score seven plus goals, away team to score six plus goals or um, 20 plus goals and 30 plus corners tonight or um, Man City and Liverpool both to score in the first 10 minutes or goals, corners and cards of some mixture of all of those. And they throw in a few goal scorer um trebles um, and the like and first goal scorers there was a Ronaldo and um, Ibrahimovic double 20 to 1 last night and by the looks of I'd, I'd estimated it like 21 to back and 15 fair odds Ibrahimovic did get the first goal for AC Milan in the early kickoff but Ronaldo didn't in the evenings so it's these types of bets and mostly the coupon is like either all no value or there's value everywhere over that coupon because they use the same lines for all of the bets, right? And when the lines steam, when XG increases, then they all become good at exactly the same time. They published the What's Up Paddy coupon for the last day of the Premiership on Friday. The last day of the Premiership was a Sunday. The first one was away teams to score 13 plus goals at 2.1. By the time we got to Sunday, that was 1.57. 2.1 to back, 1.57 fair odds. The next one was 2.2 to back, 1.52 fair odds. That was home team to get 15 plus goals. So both home teams and away teams' goals XG had gone up. Number seven. No, number 10, uh, which is home teams to score 19 plus goals, was um, 92. 5.5 to back fair odds would have been 2.64. Liverpool, Arsenal and Chelsea to score eight plus goals was big value um 30 goals 107 plus corners and 33 plus cards in the pre in the epl on sunday was massive value two goals and six corners and two cards in each of the matches was huge value on sunday we're talking 100 150 200 250 300 350% ev i've actually done like 10 of these coupons and there's been no value and then we got to the last day of the season and we found all of this value and then what happened one minute before i was going to post it up Paddy reprinted the coupon on Sunday morning. Ah, come on now, Ted. I mean, God, ah, all of that work, it's sort of been leading up into that moment. I thought we'd absolutely smashed it. I was completely aware that there was huge value on that coupon. And we've gone ahead. We've, we've got these daily detailed lines. We've created the model specifically for that um, coupon. I've, I've done 10 in a row that were no good, but we were persevering because I knew it could be good. And then we found it and it was good and it was massive. And then they reprinted the coupon. I mean, three of them were still good and the, you, we're still getting the occasional good one. But the lesson learned there is that when they're massive, I think we need to be attacking them the minute that the coupon comes out early doors. I'd been waiting until the day under the theory that we're waiting for the price movement of the XG and the corners and the bloody bars and the booty boos. And we're waiting for all of that to happen so that we can look at the coupon. And if it's good, it's good. And it's bad, it's bad. And when it's good, we go and smash it. And what I hadn't thought was that they are just going to sort of, we're not going to be the only people that realize how good they are, which kind of means that, okay, let's just not wait for it. Let's, as soon as the coupon's out, we've got to find a way of having detailed lines for games tomorrow and the day after. Start looking at these things and advance, and we will beat the cutters to their cutting room floor. Right, guys, that's enough for the first half. You are listening to the Bashcast, and it's brought to you by BookieBashing.net. You could be anywhere on the globe tonight. 
We salute your soul because you chose light. The villagers are listening with innocence and mystery. You are now witnessing inner city history. Enter the temple. This is techno love. The wax won't ask, DJs don't judge. We just turn tables. We must burn labels because no hate will chase away the faithful of 30 years who've heard superb 33 and a thirds. Move minds through time from urban curbs to suburbs, the Music Institute, the Ministry of Sound. Town and country, hacienda, inner city sold it out. So if you love what you feel, go on and shout. Shout hallelujah if paradise will suit you. When pennies fall from heaven, invest them in the future. From Paris to Prague, we carried the torch. Masses called together across Hart Plaza to praise the good life and have big fun. Pray for young life, enough stabbings and guns. Happiness comes in the dawn after morning. We wade through the painful to bathe in the rainbow. Time heals, high heels, barefoot or timbos. The elevator lifts celebrators from limbo. Tap into the tempo and let your limbs go. Detroit fueled the movement. Ain't nobody better. The truth is the music. We all move together. Together, together, we all move together. Together, together, we all. 
and welcome back to the Bashcast. As we all move together from Inner City and Idris Bond Elba from the album We All Move Together, released 2020. Um, so now, uh, that song was actually a day long, 24 hours. I don't know if you noticed it, but it's, it's now Friday in my time because it's had some things to do um, when I finished the Bash cast first half last night. But I just wanted an addendum to the Smarkets story about the Smarkets people sort of putting the enhanced accumulators to bed. That's not the end of the Advantage Play story at Smarkets. In fact, one of the biggest edges that there is... Um, around just now is the bias that exists in the match odds in both teams to score market because it's quite easy to work out what the fair odds should be with a degree of accuracy from the um, correct scoring over 2.5 markets on a liquid on the liquid markets either at Betfair or even at Smarkets itself so it's not difficult to work out what the fair odds would be um, and it's such a common boost you find it Almost every day on the Betfred Daily Specials, William Hill boost it, Colin Ladbrokes boost it, Sky boost it, Betway boost it to really big sometimes. Everyone does. It's a really common one. Um, that market is um, often extremely biased. And so just because the accumulated door shuts doesn't mean that all doors do, for sure. Um, same with um, Win to Nail, which just team to win and both teams to score no in the same market. So those two, you know, a lot of promise. Wish um, we could sort of nail down win both halves a little bit more accurately. Just now, it kind of works, but not for the extremes. And the extremes aren't even that extreme. It's like below 1.3 and above 10. Still falls over, so we've got it in a, as an alpha calc at the moment. It doesn't fall over, it's just pessimistic, right? So you're not going to do any harm um, using it as a benchmark for value. It's just we're missing out when teams like Lazio in midweek were 1.13. That's when it's, it suggests that the win both halves is 2.5 or whatever. It's it's not. It's like, uh, it's odds on. Um, one method for doing it would be half-time squared. Again, pessimistic, because second half, um, there is more goals in the first half. But perhaps it, if, if the benefit of that is um, picking up some of these really short-priced favourites, then perhaps that's something to move towards. In the bookie bashing news, what the hell is wrong with everybody? <laughs> so, do you like acronyms? I don't. When I worked for a company back when I was a normal person, I had a big drive in senior management that we need to get rid of um, the use of acronyms because acronyms were taken over. And the problem with acronyms is, okay, look, you and your buddy, you, Mr. Listener, and your work colleague buddy, every single day of the week, you measure the longitudinal profile variance of whatever it is that you're measuring, okay? You look along the profile log longitudinally, and you read the variance. Now, you and your best buddy, work colleague, pal, who go to the pub and have a drink and eat your sandwiches together and get up early to go on field trips and and you live in each other's pockets and you work with longitudinal profile variance eight hours a day, five days a week, 20 month, days a month, and 
between the two of you, you could abbreviate longitudinal profile variance to LPV for two reasons. Firstly, it's quite a tongue twister. It's quite a, it's, it's three, well, two of the three words are relatively long. And secondly, LPV is a unique acronym. Uh, and because you've used longitudinal profile variance for so long between the two of you, there'll be no confusion about what it is that you're talking about. But that ease of abbreviation only counts between the two of you because you are both used to, familiar with, and experts in the longer form of that word. If you're just using abbreviations because you're lazy or you are youth, then quit it because you're being an arse. I logged on the other day into two different sites and I saw the phrases, does anyone EWS to BBO? And I didn't know what either EWS or BBO meant. I found out what EWS meant, but in the context, I still couldn't find out what BBO meant. And so it just meant absolutely nothing. And that's now rude from the poster. So what does the poster achieve by being rude? He loses my attention completely. Uh, and he loses anybody's attention unless you are patient enough to say, what do you mean by... And then you're the one asking the question. You want my time and help? Don't say that. But even worse, I saw what essentially is five acronyms just posted as a, a complete sentence. And it was P-P-P-F-L-U-L-A-P-B-O-O-M. Okay, the last one I think was just boom. So it wasn't an acronym. But the four, there wasn't a vowel to be seen in the first five letters or two words. P-P-P, which I... Just because I've been doing this long enough, I think means Paddy Power Price. F-L-U-L-A-P. F-L-U-L-A-P is, I think, full lay, underlay, advantage play. Now, stop me if I'm being facetious here. Full lay, underlay, just means that he's getting... or she's getting all their money back, that's the full lay, but they've weighted it in favour of what will be the higher odds, which will be the bat bet almost always. So they have weighted, they've hedged their bet, they're undertaking in the old arbitrage, and they've hedged their bet fully maximising the return from the bat bet winning and presumably getting nothing if the Labour lose if their bet doesn't win, but they're getting the stakes back. That's the F L U L. How A P, which is a, becoming the most bastardised form of acronym. In fact, in fact, not just the acronym. Advantage play is steeped in history. Okay, from Wild Bill Hickok to Nick the Greek to the the cowboys that would be on the boats on the Mississippi who would learn various tricks about how to read the backs of cards or even the room and end up getting shot. And the sort of 
nefarious and romanticized notion and stories that surrounded all of those um, riverboat casinos and um, the advantage players coming through the bricks and mortar casinos until about um, 2010, 2012. And the term advantage play suddenly became bastardized to almost completely and uniquely mean the placing of a free bet having hedged the qualifier and not laying the free bet that's what advantage play suddenly became defined as for quite a few years um in the mid 2010s but now it seems like um just waiting one side of the laying of a free bet um just to make it more exciting when the higher back odds um bet wins is becoming the new version of Advantage Play. I don't know about you, I feel extremely grumpy about this indeed. And um think anybody who um, hasn't risked any money of their own in any of their gambling activity should be have a complete blanket ban on the words Advantage Play or the letters AP in any word or context whatsoever. So, moving from the poker, and that, that, by the way, that reminds me of the, do you remember the Red Dwarf Society? That Rimmer was very careful not to be a part of the Committee of the Liberation and the Integration of Terrifying Organisms and their rehabilitation into society. The 2020 World Series of Poker got cancelled very late at the Rio Hotel in um, in Las Vegas. And so it was picked up online um, by two different operators because um, Americans are really dumb and they have different rules in different states about who can play. So um, uh, the online events, 31 were going to be at the WSOP.com, which is open to people in Nevada and if you're outside of Nevada you can go to a casino um, or to a car park uh, in Nevada and just play from within that state Uh, and then GG Poker has 54 tournaments Uh, that's open to everybody and the WSOP.com got off to quite a ropey start Um, I believe people were checking into Caesars Hotels and then they were logging on to the World Series of Poker events to find that they were banned from playing due to a one IP address per entrant into the tournament rule. And, of course, if you go to a Caesars property, there will be loads of people in the hotels sharing the same IP address um, and then only the first person that registers to the tournament can play. And you'd think that this would be a software issue that the WSOP would be able to fix quite quickly, but in fact it's not a software issue. This is a classic middle manager issue. What's happened in the issuing of uh, licenses in America from the different jurisdictions and the and the state of Nevada has issued the licenses the gambling online poker licenses in Nevada one of the things they have said in the licensing terms and agreements 
is that um, there can only be one IP address per entrant in a tournament, so, and that is to stop collusion. That's to stop two people sitting down at an Omaha tournament and um, they're best buddies and they're both from the same house and they're just looking over each shoulder at what cards they've got and they're sat at the same table and you end up with a massive edge. And so some genius middle manager has said, we're, we're not going to allow that. Um, we're just going to have one IP address. Completely missing the fact that, one, it's extremely easy for people to be sat next to each other and to be playing online with two different IP addresses. In fact, if you go to the WSOP.com site itself, it there are a series of recommendations for players, one of which is if you're encountering the IP address problem, simply use your mobile phone as a hotspot. You don't even have to play the entire tournament over the hotspot. You just have to register into the tournament in the hotspot, and that bypasses it, which is just completely farcical. But I have sympathy for the software developers of the WSOP.com software because this has just come from a middle somebody who didn't think of the repercussions and has just made life completely difficult for everybody as a result. I know a lot of these people, I've worked with a lot of these people, and also they're probably behind some of the reasons why. We both get so frustrated at the William Hill shops and the Betfred shops, but also are able to find so much value at the same time. So the incompetence has both benefits and costs for us. At the end of the day, though, and I'm sorry to say this, many of these people are simply trying to find problems that don't exist and find solutions to those problems that don't exist and don't need to be implemented to justify their existence in this world. And that seems to be what's happened there with the WSOP.com software. In the GG Poker 54 events, in, by the way, you better like No Limit Hold'em if you want to play these. Um, um, no, We've got No Limit Hold'em, Turbo No Limit Hold'em, Deep Stack No Limit Hold'em, No Limit Hold'em. There is a Pot Limit Omaha, but there isn't any Stard or um, Deuce to Seven draw. And the reason for that is exactly the same is that they have the software capabilities to offer those games. They offer them in cash, but they're not allowed to have software changes without the express permission um, in writing of the people that are issuing the licenses, and that's to prevent super using and everything like that. But the restriction on that kind of flexibility is exactly the same problem as the WSOP was happening. And on the opening day of the WSOP on GG Poker, um, everybody sat down playing. I wasn't. I'm probably going to sit out this year. Just family life and just don't have the hunger for it just now. Um, but they hosted multiple starting flights over five days to the first day. And then the online poker site, which was hosting, remember, 54 bracelet events, was forced to postpone all of day one bracelet events for a week because of what the company called a critical bug in their software. 3,684 players had returned for the start of event number 32, which is a $100 uh, a $100 WSOP bracelet there, by the way, called The Opener. Um, 
and they sat down and then all of the tables were just frozen at the same time. So you sat down, you saw a message that says, players are now on a break. Tournament has been paused by the operator. Please wait for tournament to re resume. We apologize for everything that has happened today. A critical bug has been found and we need to postpone the event to the next week at the same time. And the company apologized for all of these problems and they said that um, everybody would be refunded their hundred dollars and um, that there would be a sizable donation to a COVID relief charity. By the way, that's not an apology. Donating to a charity in no way makes up for somebody costing me time and money. Um, by all means, people should be donating to charities. The corporate sites should be donating to charities. I should be donating to charities. You should be donating to charities. Using the donation to a charity as the justification of an apology for some serious failings is, um, uh, well, at least Dick Turpin wore a mask. I mean, it, it really is. It's really poor form, really poor form. Um, however, it subsequently the next day was confirmed that the GG Poker site had suffered a DDoS attack um, on the opening day. Uh, and somebody out there had decided that they didn't want the WSOP to be going ahead and possibly taking advantage of the fact that it's at a new site. And um, they, some people out there just like causing causing problems, causing difficulties, uh, seeing seeing chaos and havoc and people's um, good and hard work being ruined and enjoying and reveling in it. And um, um, that is a shame. Um, and it does seem like uh, the World Series of Poker has been delayed a week simply because a couple of school children assholes haven't got anything better to do. Right, what's coming up this weekend? Um, it's a very quiet one. I'm going away. I'm not going to be betting. I'm having a week off. It will be the Arsenal-Chelsea FA Cup final tomorrow along with the um, National North and National South playoffs. So the only games going on in England. Syria uh, comes to an end, I think, this weekend at the very same time as the Scottish Premiership starts up again with the Aberdeen um, versus Rangers, the kickoff game 12.30 on Saturday, um, Sunday, um, again, Celtic Hamilton continuing the Premiership and um, the Serie A comes to climax. We also have the World Snooker Championships with Judd Trent and Ronnie O'Sullivan, uh, favourites and the outright market there. Goodwood comes to an end tomorrow, but let's not sort of um, beat around the bush here. It's definitely a little bit thin, a little bit dry, and um, it's as good as time as any to have a break and go and enjoy some of this glorious sunshine. Whatever it is that you're sunbathing in, do make sure you're wearing sun cream. This is Tom signing out. Did the earth move fire, Nancy? Did the earth move fire, Nancy? Did the earth move fire, Nancy?